That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Hey Aaron, what's up? How's it going? And uh, welcome to another episode of Same Old Song, everyone. But um, uh, what's going on there, Aaron, in Waco, Texas? Looks like things are flaring up. Well, I was at a COVID, uh, like a rave uh, last night where everybody tries to get infected. It's basically what we're doing in Texas now. Uh, Just trying to get to herd immunity as quickly as possible and whatever price we have to pay. Just a little EDM, a little trance, and it's it's all good. And uh, so, you know, if I'm not on my sharpest, that's why, but it's, it's for the greater good. Yeah. Oh, I'm feeling spicy today. Yeah. Boy, we don't want to infringe on your uh, constitutional rights. So um, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I saw this. I saw this great Twitter post. Somebody posted this thing like, "Welcome," like imagining this restaurant. Welcome to the Freedom Cafe. We respect your right not to wear a mask. Also, I hope you respect our employees' freedom to choose not to wash their hands while preparing your food. And also, mm. some of them don't like to cook chicken at 165 degrees. They prefer it to be at 100 <laughs> yeah. degrees. Um, anyways. Okay. So, uh, let's get again, to the business at our hand. campaign to lose yeah. listeners. <laughs> yeah, let's get to the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, as you folks will be preaching to prepare, uh, or preparing to preach, uh, see I told you it was at a rave, uh, on Sunday, July 26th. We're still walking through Genesis, the story of Jacob, still walking through Romans, and still walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. So we begin with this reading in, yeah, no, that's the cool thing about track one. If any of you are out there doing track two, you know that you're jumping around these Old Testament readings. They're shorter, and maybe your people like it, Mm. but they're not getting the narrative here that you get in Genesis. Mm. Uh, So we got, uh, last week, Jacob saw Rachel at the well and was like, hey, I found me a wife. But uh, it got a little bit more complicated, so we pick up the story today because it turns out that Rachel has a sister named Leah, and uh, uh, he has to he has to work for her for seven years to marry Rachel, and uh, which is an incredible thing. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, and then uh, uh, he finds out he's been he's been duped. One little translation note here in the NRSV in Genesis 29, it says in verse 17, Leah's eyes were lovely and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. And the Hebrew, uh, it's not, it's not the, the word in Hebrew translated lovely for Leah's eyes is actually soft or weak. And uh, the, the, the text is trying to set up a difference between the two women. It's like Leah... Leah was was not his first choice. Rachel was his first choice. There's sort of a, Leah was this, but Rachel, not and. Anyways, that's the sense of the text. Not trying to throw any shade at Leah, but just want to be faithful to the text. And the translation of the NRSV is, is off. Eh, suspect. Yeah. I but think, moving um, on, I mean, the point of the passage, 
Jake, you tell them. Well, I think, you know, you take this tech, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, um, you know, Abraham sending uh, his servant, possibly El Eliezer, off to find uh, a wife for Isaac, because uh, Isaac's mom had died and he was um, very upset. And uh, But you see the interaction, El Eliezer prays, or the servant of Abraham prays to God and like is like, help me figure this out. There's all of this guidance and seeking the Lord and, you know, the woman who comes out and gets water, this is the one. And uh, in this particular passage, there's none of that. God's not even mentioned. You have two shrewd individuals. You have Laban. Uh, he is, um, <clears throat> he's not upright individual. And you have Jacob, who's also not an upright individual. And here they are, and uh, Jacob's looking for a wife. And God is nowhere to be mentioned. And oftentimes, sometimes in um, American Christianity, I think we can approach God like almost like um, like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. And like, if I'm not praying, did I make the right decision? Did I do this right? Is God going to be happy with me? And uh, what we see here is that like God is at work even when we're not looking for him. You know, God had made a promise to Abraham. God had made a promise to Isaac. And God actually made a promise to Jacob. And those promises are not contingent upon anyone's faithfulness because they are. it is contingent upon God's faithfulness alone. And he is faithful. And so, uh, you know, I think that this is a perfect illustration of uh, a perfect God um, will accomplish his purposes through imperfect people. And so you see this happening through the interaction of Jacob and Laban. God is in control and God is going to fulfill his promises through uh, shrewd and faithless individuals. And uh, this begins kind of to be the lens on which we understand even the relationship with and God's work in Leah's life as well, the lazy-eyed one. And what would you have to say about that, Aaron? Uh, also, a lot of people don't realize she had these two large uh, buns, her hair, and these braided buns <laughs> yeah. on the side of her head. It's a it's a little known fact about that's where George Lucas got the idea for. That's right. Uh, so I think yeah, there's a lot there's a lot here. I mean the the fact that uh, through as you say these kind of rather question people with questionable character, God still does uh, what God wants to do. Uh, I'm reminded of this quote from Richard Rohr, and I'm sure we have some listeners that love Richard Rohr and some listeners that uh, break out in hives when I say the name Richard Rohr. But one of the things he says, which I think is accurate, is that God comes to you disguised as your life. Sometimes we mm. think God can only work in the parts of our life that are the sort of the religious parts. And I can, as you said, can only work if we've prayed enough or we've been good enough or all yeah. that sort of thing. And of course, here we see, as you said, God working through a deception. Uh, and there's there's hints of more stuff coming, like Laban giving the maid Zilpa. There's going to be some children that Zilpa has as well. Um, this, from human terms, this whole situation, Jacob working for seven years to get Rachel and then finding out that instead of getting Rachel, he gets Leah and then, uh, you know, ends up having to be there for 14 years, another seven years uh, for Rachel. Uh, it's, it's his plan going totally awry. And yet God is working in this. And so I think, I think um, there's, there's really something there. And, and, you know, obviously from, from the wrong one, Leah, mm -hmm. uh, as you and I have talked about, comes Judah, comes Levi, comes, you know, some of the, some of the, I mean, the line of Jesus mm -hmm. comes from the wrong one. 
so yeah, I think uh, it's not there. And by the way, at the beginning, I think I implied that Jacob met Rachel through some encounter at the well, which he did, but I was mixing it up in my head with the counter with Rebecca. Uh, Isaac, yeah, and Anyways, Isaac. Apologies. That's all right. Thanks for not correcting me, Jake. Yeah, it's a fine. Um, it's fine. You're doing a great job, Aaron. Every week you do a good job. <laughs> Thank <laughs> um, you. I think COVID rave. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, this is actually where the tradition of the veil comes from um, in uh, Jewish and Christian weddings, the, um, the uncovering of the veil. And so to, um, mm. uh, to make sure that you're getting the right bride. And so this is where that tradition comes from. And so, um, uh, yeah. and also, um, yeah, I, go ahead. I'll say that this passage is very funny. I mean, there's, this is one of the funniest passages in scripture and it's so kind of underplayed in the Hebrew. It just says when morning came, it was Leah. And in the <laughs> yeah. Hebrew, it's even more terse than it. it's like when morning came Leah and, uh, <laughs> and you can just imagine Jacob's face. I mean, just jaw dropping and. Uh, it indicates a couple of things that, you know, maybe this feast was a really great feast, yeah. uh, and, uh, and Jacob was maybe not in full possession of there, his faculties. But there the were roofies that, in the course, wine. You got to remember, <laughs> that's right. It was a, <laughs> and it was a COVID rave. Uh, the, um, uh, the other thing too is it, I mean, people sort of say, ah, there's no way this could happen, but you got to remember in the ancient world, no electric lights. I mean, they might have had a few uh, oil lamps and stuff like that, but it would have been pretty dark uh, at the end of this party. Very dark. So just so. Uh, just remember that. Yeah. 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 Clearly. Well, I think I think too. One last. So, anyways, surprise, Leah. One last word on this text before we go to Romans, because Romans really this illustrates what Saint Paul is talking about in our Romans reading. Um, but um, th- there's good news for um, for the, the the weak-eyed people out there as well. Those who have kind of felt alone, felt left out. Th- that God is actually working in your life as well, and uh, God has not forgotten you. Um, God did not forget Leah, and God did not forget you. And um, although you may feel unloved, uh, there is a God who loves you, and uh, will never forget you, and is working out a good purpose in your life as well. So, um, uh, you know, uh, the Messiah is not going to be in your lineage, but God is working out a purpose and a plan in your life as well. And that's the good news that we see through Leah, the forgotten one, the the unwanted one is the one um, that God wants and God loves. Yeah, amen. And uh, let's uh, move on now to that reading in Romans chapter 8. Uh, where we begin, I mean, this this passage is so full of like greatest hits yeah. of St. Paul. There's so many memory verses or, uh, you know, inspirational yeah. posters, uh, book, bookmarks <laughs> for your Bible. This is where they get a bunch of these, uh, these quotes that go on those sorts of uh, printed materials. So we get this beginning in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then we get this awesome verse. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Um, I can't tell you how many times people have quoted that to me just as something. It's kind of a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a handhold. It's something that, that is just sort of a, a life preserver for folks just uh, to yeah. know that verse. Uh, I, and then, of course, uh, we are more than conquerors, and and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's all in this passage in these short, you know, thirteen or so verses. Yeah, I mean, I know 
this this passage has been um, a real promise and something to cling on during these times. You know, what you guys are about to experience probably in Texas, you know, we've gone through in New York, people getting sick, losing family members, uh, people losing their jobs. And, uh, you know, if you go by what you see, if you uh, believe in a pagan god and go by what you see, you're like, what is the purpose of all of this? What is this all about? And... Um, and this is a great reminder that we need to, and I say it over and over again because it's true, but we have to go by what we hear. And what St. Paul says is that, man, all things are working together, uh, you know, are called, you've been called according to God's purpose. And there is a purpose even in this. Uh, there is a purpose in, you know, in, um, in Leah marrying Jacob. And there's a purpose in what, what we're going through right now. Um, because why? Because God foreknew and he's predestined you. Um, God knew you before you were even created. And, uh, and he is working out a purpose and a plan in your life. And that purpose and plan is good. And so if you have been baptized, you know for a fact, not when you made a personal decision, but when you were baptized, the objective word given to you, you know that you've been called according to a purpose. That might that might that might land yeah. a little heavy in in, in uh, Baylor country, but uh, it's true. You know when you <laughs> were when you were baptized, the objective word. Yeah, and and so this is another thing that Fleming Rutledge likes to point out, the great preacher who who spoke at Baylor uh, last fall. <laughs> uh, God is the one who is doing the work here. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't say that all things work together for good for those who do good stuff. Yeah. Uh, who have regular quiet times. Um, it says, uh, God foreknew, God predestined to be conformed, um, God called, God justified, God glorified. He's, God is the, is the actor here. God is the agent. Uh, he is the one that is doing all the work here. And that's, I think, important. And that's to your point about and a Christianity that emphasizes one's own personal decision to follow Jesus, where it's it sort of makes you the one that has to make it happen. That is, uh, that's that's like going out on thin ice, uh, mm -hmm. because at some point your resolve, your commitment, your feeling of faith will waver and weaken, and then one might feel like you are adrift, you've fallen through the ice here. But if God is the one who's doing the work, then that means I can have. Um, days which are far from perfect, and and God was to hold on to me. And I think it's important to know too. You know, you don't want to interpret verse twenty-eight. We know God that all things work together for good for those who love God. We want to make sure that we take the word "good" and understand it in a full Christian, yeah. Christocentric, cruciform understanding. Because a lot of people, whoop, J that's Jacob's uh, manicurist calling to yeah. set up an appointment uh, for later today. It's all right. Uh, we know that uh, for Christians, what it means to be good, things working together for the good, we have to see that through the lens of Christ, who you look at him in his resurrection body, this incredibly glorious miracle, but also he has these scars in his hands and his feet and his side. Um, to be conformed into the image of Christ, of God's Son, in verse 29, as it says, um, is to be made into someone who will suffer and who will um, be redeemed. I mean, all those things are are uh, part of what it means to be made into into 
Christ's image. So the goodness for which uh, God is working all things in our lives is rich and deep, but it's not just sort of like, I'll get the promotion and my kid will, uh, you know, all my children will be born uh, 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 with sort of neurotypical cognitive abilities and uh, they will always get the lead in the school play and uh, my marriage will always be easy. I mean, that's not what it's saying. It's uh, it's ultimately in the difficult suffering times of life. And we have to remember that Christ suffered and if Christ suffered, we will too. And this is something Paul says a lot, um, that uh, um, there will be redemption in that. Uh, so it's I think it, that's just uh, a point I would say. Yes, God is working all things for good, but don't make this into like God will get me a good parking spot at the mall. Yeah, you know, a powerful illustration of this is uh, when Tyler Perry preached at Whitney Houston's funeral, Ooh. and um, and he shared he shared a story about he shared a story about their last encounter, and uh, and she was just kind of kind of at the bottom of life basically, and you know, and he asked you know, how are you doing? That typical question that we all ask even when we know things aren't going well for a friend. And she said, what then are we to say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And, uh, you know, and the answer, and and Paul lays out that answer beautifully and powerfully. Nothing. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, because, Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not even death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor anything else, not even ourselves, Not even God can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, I'm um, reminded of Mark Mattis, uh, that great theologian, when he spoke at the very first Mockingbird conference. And he was like, God is so for you in the gospel that he goes against all the charges Mm. in his law to save you. And to declare you, and this is the beautiful thing, when you're called according to his purpose, you're called not just not guilty, you're called completely innocent before him. And uh, this is the good news. When people, when you are a baptized Christian, things may be going crap, and you may be guilty as sin before the law, because indeed you are. But in Christ Jesus, called according to his purpose, you stand completely innocent Nothing can bring a charge against you because Christ has died for you, Christ has risen for you, and Christ is coming again for you. That's right. And I think uh, there's just so much comfort for people who are suffering um, offered from, from Paul uh, in these inspired verses. Uh, if, if God is for us, who is against us? And if God has given up his own son for us, will he not also give us everything else? And many, many people I have found feel that God is against them. They carry a burden from their past. They carry it what to them is a shameful secret. Uh, or they just maybe feel this general, you know, I'm not a good enough Christian, so I'm kind of on the JV squad, but uh, God, you know, he's not going to kick me off the field, but I'm certainly not going to be, uh, you know, a starting player. Uh, there's um, this, it's totally contrary. That's, those are lies from the devil. Yep, because that's what, right. this Paul, what Paul tells us here is that God has given up his own son. And, don't, and again, please don't hear that as some sort of like horrible heavenly father abandoning and neglecting his son. 
you got to understand this in a Trinitarian way, and you have that because this passage gives us the Spirit, this passage talks about the Father, this passage talks about the Son. So it is a decision within the triune Godhead to sacrifice for this. this. It's the Son's own sacrificial love. It's the Father's sacrificial love. It's the Spirit's sacrificial love. It's all in there. It just gets worked out on earth through the person of Jesus Christ. So, uh, but if, if God gives up his own self for you, He's not, you think that that God is going to be like, well, I don't know. Jacob Smith's watching a lot of R-rated movies lately. I think I'm going to remove some of my blessing. <laughs> I mean, it's just so crazy. It's crazy. If only he'd stick to the PG-13. But that's how people think. And so mm-hmm. it's like, no, nothing's going to separate you from the love of Christ. And uh, if, if, I mean, if, and this, and this, man, verse 34, I know verse um, 28 is great with all things working together for good. But verse 34, that says... Jesus Christ intercedes for you at the right hand of God. I mean, take that That's to the mind spiritual blowing. bank, people. You know what? You know what Jesus is doing right now. He's talking to the Father about you, mm-hmm. asking the Father to help you to, and, and you know, again, helping you and and conforming you to the image of Christ may look different from what you think. I mean, I think oftentimes it looks like God stripping away or pruning things in our lives, but. But uh, just to know that this one who loves you so much is interceding for you right mm, now come is on. incredible. And I need to hear that. Everybody needs to hear that. So talk about it. And, you know, the um, powerful thing is that this is illustrated, you know, the the triune love of God and how this all works is illustrated in uh, the, the gospel reading for this Sunday, Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33 and 44 through 52. Uh, where Jesus teaches his disciples in parables. Um, and um, and uh, kind of these truths of St. Paul that he so explicitly lays out are being implicitly taught in these parables. Um, and you have to remember when we look at these passages um, that parables aren't fables. Get that out of your head. These are not moral lessons for you to come in and figure out how to build the kingdom of God. Uh, parables are earthly illustrations that articulate heavenly truths. Um, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Do you want to say kind of what what the kingdom of heaven actually is, um, Aaron, And as we kind of look at these passages? Yeah, so a lot of people think the kingdom of heaven, gosh, if you ever need a, needed a, like, um, exhibit A evidence for people who make scriptural texts about themselves instead of about God, it's this kind of passage. So Jesus all the time is talking about the kingdom of God. And he always, <laughs> whenever he talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about you. He's talking about God. He's talking, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And in this passage, he's got, you know, he just one thing after another, mustard seed, pearl, treasure. It's just all these different things. He never talks in the New Testament about us building or making the kingdom. And there's so many churches that uh, miss this. And you see it in their mission statements. Uh, you know, do, do, a, do a random sampling of 10 churches, go to their websites, and you'll probably find um, a bunch of them say something about the kingdom of God. And they usually make themselves the uh, subject of the sentence and that they are doing something to bring about or to make or to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And... Uh, Anyways, I could go on on the soapbox, but the important thing here is the, the kingdom of heaven is what the world looks like when God is in charge, 
the Basileo Tothio, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus here tells us what it is like. He doesn't say to bring it or to make it happen. He just says, this is what it looks like. And you had a really interesting interpretation of the kingdom of heaven as well. And now I will yield the floor to you, Jacob. Thank you, Aaron. Um, yeah, the kingdom of heaven, you know, when you look at it uh, in, in like its Old Testament, through the lens of the Old Testament and the people of Israel, it's God's people in God's place under God's reign. And uh, that was the ideal. It was never accomplished in the people of Israel. But here it's being accomplished in the person of Jesus. And then what this does is that this this accomplishment, what Jesus has done, now spreads forth to all the peoples of the earth. And what you see Jesus doing in these parables is illustrating how this is all going to work. So it begins, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Remember, you're not the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is right here. And so he is the mustard seed. Someone took and sowed into his field, a.k.a. it dies. It's the smallest of seeds. So you have this Nazarene rabbi, Nazareth, what good could come out of Nazareth, who is crucified for the sins of the world. And now it has grown and become the greatest of all the shrubs. Not only the birds of the air can hang on it, but you can hang your entire life upon this work of Jesus, upon this mustard seed. You know, um, uh, and this moves into the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour, just a little bit. But man, it has leavened the whole loaf. And this gospel just gets into every facet of your life, whether you know it or not. It completely takes over. And uh, where it is, as St. Paul would say, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. I mean, this thing... The gospel makes absolutely, as as Aaron pointed out, makes no sense. You know what I mean? Because it's not about what you do. It's about what God has done. But the reason why it's hidden in a field is because we're so busy navel-gazing and trying to figure out what we need to do for God when God has already done everything for us. But when this gospel hits you upside the head... You're like, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever had in my life. And I will do everything I can to buy this field. I will do everything for the sake of the gospel and spreading it out. You know, I will uh, do a podcast every week in the midst of the mountains with terrible internet because this is so important. (laughs) And, And then... Here we go. And this is where you got to pay attention to the to the writing here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. So here he is. You're not finding any pearls. He's finding you. And you are of great value to the Father. And so the Son, he is the merchant who goes and he finds you because you are of great value. And he gives everything for it. AKA, he lays his life down for you. He gives up his entire life for you. This is the Trinitarian love at work. And uh, so therefore, um, now the kingdom of God is expressed in his church. And uh, the net is thrown into the sea. And you're caught, I'm caught. You and I would probably never ever hang out on our own. But now we have been brought into this community and, uh, man, uh, just different types of fish right in this net called the church. And there's an eschatological part to this whole parable. And uh, do you have anything to say about that? Sorry, I started preaching. No, I would say I, I would hang out with you, Jake. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, so I didn't mean. Maybe you would. I, I didn't mean you, Aaron. I meant the listeners. That's what I mean. You and I would always hang out. 
right. I'm talking about I'm talking about uh, John Doe. So in this particular sense, right? So John and Jane Doe. <clears throat> but the truth is, the interesting uh, well, the interesting thing is, is that when you preach the gospel. Uh, you'll find, and I'm sure you're seeing this in your congregation, you don't need to preach about diversity. You don't need to do a bunch of diversity things because the gospel, it's for everybody. And the gospel actually creates Mm. that which is desired. And when you're preaching the gospel that Christ has died for sinners and has given himself totally for sinners so that they might be the righteousness of God, you will find your congregation made up of Jew, Greek, free, slave, male, female, black, white, Everybody, um, because everybody needs this message. There's no distinction. Yeah, I think uh, it's a universal message. And uh, what Jesus is saying here, uh, is, as we've already mentioned, very well ties into that, that passage in Romans, where um, Paul in Ro- that Romans passage is trying to describe how much God loves us, loves you, loves the people in your congregation, and what Jesus is saying in this passage is that uh, you, sinner, are a pearl of great value. And he is giving everything. So it's another way of saying the same thing. Jesus is saying in very poetic, uh, parabolic language here um, that he has come, this little mustard seed, this, um, uh, this kind of small amount of yeast, but he's come to, as a small overlooked thing to change the whole world and to have a huge impact. And what he's here to do is to find, um, the, is to go fishing, is to find pearls, is to, is to bring people home. And that is for you and for me and for all the, all the listeners and all the people watching Preacher, your live stream sermon, or maybe your in-person one. But uh, that's, that's the gospel, and it's, it is life-changing. And uh, the thing to remember, too, is is that with the fish thing, when it's full, they drew it ashore and sat down and put the good in the basket, but threw out the bad. Remember, as we talked about uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it's it's not you who's going to be doing the dividing. It's God at the end of the age. So we can treat people with generosity. We can treat people with care because we're not doing the dividing. We're doing the preaching of the good news to everyone. And this is why he goes, have you understood all of this? And they're like, yes. But they really probably didn't. <laughs> and he says, therefore, every scribe yeah, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. And the new and the old that we have to give is the old covenant, which says, do all of this and you shall live. And then the new covenant. All has been done for you by Jesus. So simply live. Yeah, exactly. I had I had somebody ask me just yesterday uh, via text. A family member was writing me because uh, I'm you know I'm the family theologian. Uh, what happens when we die? And it got to the question about what about what about people that don't believe in God if they're a good person? And I said, man, that is a big question because first of all, you got to define what good means, uh, and <laughs> then you have to talk about what does it mean to quote unquote believe in God. I've known many people who believe in the existence of God, but are not good people by any measure that I can tell. I know many people who are seemingly good and have rejected a cartoonish view of God, but uh, there's kind of an ember of faith that lives in them. And I said, I don't know. I said, ultimately, it the. <laughs> 
judgment belongs to God. It is ultimately God's call, not ours. And that's why I think, you know, uh, we just put the net in the sea and see what happens and leave the rest to the Lord. I will say the one last thing about this passage, verse 52, the master of the house brings out of his treasure what is new, what is old. This is why at the end of your sermon you should sing Master of the House from Les Miserables as made famous by Helena Bonham Carter and Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, cool. Well, that is a wonderful place to end, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. You're so gracious. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) We'll let you have the last word there, Aaron. But uh, um, it is, um, these are great texts. Sounds good. All right, Jake. Well, keep, uh, keep up the, keep, keep, keep being you. And, uh, uh, just, just remember Jesus loves. Thanks. Give everybody the gospel. God bless you. <laughs> Amen. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.